All right, good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here on a Monday morning, September 12th. Hope you guys have had a great weekend. Welcome to Romans Rewind, where we take some minutes every weekday morning to follow up with our sermon series on the book of Romans, picking up different themes and pieces and um, just drilling down a little bit maybe into some things that we didn't get to in that previous Sunday sermon. But yesterday, September 11th, we uh, made the, the shift into the quote-unquote practical section of Romans 11, I'm sorry, Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, we're going to have plenty of time for that because it's just two short verses, and we did a pretty thorough job, I think, um, unpacking that together. But I, I want to go back up, back up, back, it's early, you understand, and pick up some pieces from last week. Last week, we had an abbreviated week, and which so coincided with us getting into um, a lot of intricate detail in this Romans 11 passage. Remember, in the Romans 11 passage, Paul has made a, an, an amazing declaration, and let me read that for us, okay? He says, verse 25 of Romans 11, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So Paul's made this grand declaration. At the end of the age, the, when Jesus comes, returns, and um, consummates his kingdom, there's going to be a massive influx of Jews into the church through faith in Christ. Now, understanding that, we know that's not the current reality as verse 28 tells us, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And of course, that's where a lot of the mystery and ambiguity and quite honestly, theological and biblical debate takes place. What, what, what are we to think about Israel right now? Um, how, what is their relationship to the old Testament, Old Covenant promises, um, even as God is remembering them through the covenant of Abraham, that's what it clearly says, at the same time, they are currently enemies. And is there a rightful claim to the promises of the Old Testament apart from Christ? And, and that's really what we've been wrestling with. And one of the specific things we looked at last week is sort of the eschatological prophetic framework that most people in the West, at least for the last 150 years, have been sort of raised um, or taught as sort of the biblical perspective. And typically that, that is called the dispensational perspective, where there is a, um, there's a view that there is a complete and separate um, future for ethnic Israel and the church. Those are two distinct things um, that all of the promises in the Old Covenant whether they be with the land or the temple or the sacrifices, all of those are going to be fulfilled in a literal ethnic Israel, um, which typically means that um, before the end, there's going to be a great tribulation of seven years prior to which God is going to rapture the church in the secret rapture and spare the church from tribulation. During these seven years, the Antichrist will be on the scene uh, there'll be the mark of the beast. Um, I'll, he'll try to enthrone himself 
um, over Israel. Christ will return, set up a thousand-year literal reign on earth. That, that's the typical dispensational framework, and it's been popularized by books like The Late Great Planet Earth, um, as well as the fictional, and I do highlight fictional account, Left Behind. Now, what we've tried to do is to show that that's certainly not the only way to interpret um, our eschatological framework. In fact, I, I think it's not only not the only way, I don't think it's the best way. And so one of the passages we looked at last week, and you can turn there right now, Second Thess I'm sorry, First Thessalonians 1, which is the most common proof text for, or one of the two most common proof texts for this fact that there's going to be a secret rapture. In other words, there's not just going to be one return of Christ, which will be public, there's actually going to be two returns of Christ, one of which is public and one of which is secret. And this is typically found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, so let me read the verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And the way the church for two millennia predominantly has understood the first Thessalonians passage um, is, has been to, to understand it to refer, of course, to the actual second coming, because this is obviously a very public event. There's trumpets. Um, there's, there's a cry from heaven, a, an, an angelic chorus, a cry, a shout. This is obviously very public, very visible, very seen and that we will be caught up in raptura. Okay, raptura means to, to snatch. As believers, we'll be snatched up into the air to meet the Lord in the air. Now, again, some who believe in a secret rapture would say that's what's being referred to here. That's where the word raptura comes from. And we tried to say, I don't think that's what this passage is teaching. Now, one of you guys, some, one of you faithful few who listen, uh, submitted a question about this. And this is a great question because this gets us into the second text, which is the predominant proof text to show that there is going to be a secret rapture. Um, and this comes from Matthew chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, I know you do. Why else would you be listening in? Matthew chapter 24. And this is called the Olivet Discourse. And this is where um, Jesus has gathered up his disciples, okay? And they are asking him about these things, okay? So, so look, look at Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus says there's going to be a judgment coming on Jerusalem. The temple is going to be destroyed. And they're asking, when is this going to happen? But they don't just ask that. They also throw in a couple other questions. What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign at the end of the age? And this is what Matthew 24 is devoted to. And we don't have time to unpack the Olivet Discourse um, but right now. But I want to highlight one text that this, this faithful listener um, 
mentions, okay, um, that is oftentimes used to support this idea of a secret rapture. Um, and so let me, let me read this. This comes from verse 36 of Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah returned the ark, entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left, and then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And so again, that idea that two people will be working side by side, Jesus will come, one will be snatched away, um, the other will be left. Um, two women are working in the field, two people are grinding at the mill. Um, is that not a support for this uh, idea of rapture? Again, I don't think so, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. First of all, if you go back through the, um, if you go back through this passage, I think you will see. Look at back at verse twenty nine. Jesus is talking about his second return, right? Immediately, um, let's see. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. In other words, that sounds an awful like like 1 Thessalonians 14. So, so what does Jesus mean when he talks about um, one, one will be taken, another laugh, two women are grinding at the mill, um, you know, uh, two women are going, going about their business, one's left, one's left behind, okay, all that. Well, I think Jesus's point here is, one, he says... He's, he's warning them to be alert. He, he's warning them to the suddenness of this situation, just like with Noah and the ark. They didn't know the day or hour, but the rain came, and by then it was too late. And so there's a warning here. And I think what, what Jesus is, is, is pinpointing here are, are two things. One, the suddenness of the event, okay? Two people were just going about their business, and boom, Jesus returns, but also the, 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 sep, the, the void or the separateness that's created by the coming of the Son of Man. Because when Jesus comes, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And when it talks about uh, one being there and taken away, it's, I think, referring to, it's a metaphor, it's a picture for this idea that we need to be prepared, that, that there's a suddenness aspect to the coming of Christ, and there is a separate aspect to the coming of Christ, meaning Jesus, when he comes, will literally separate people, the sheep and the goats, the Christians and non-Christians. And when that moment happens, um, it will be decisive, decisive, it will be irrevocable. I also think, let me just say this, that here, I do think it's, even at that, is consistent with 1 Thessalonians 4, okay, when it talks about two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left, um, that Jesus earlier in this chapter, okay, talks about um, how he is going to gather all the people from every 
tongue, tribe, and nation. And this idea of gathering up is consistent with what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, where when Jesus returns, those who are his will be caught up with him. And it says, 1 Thessalonians 4, we will meet him in the air. This is like the prodigal son. This is like the homecoming. Jesus, we will rise to meet Jesus in the air and being united with him, we will return with Jesus as he establishes his kingdom on earth. So there is a real sense in which this this, this separatedness that happens between Christians and non-Christians, it's not just a spiritual set, uh, separating out. It's also a spatial one. It's a physical one because believers in Christ will rise in the air, Paul tells us, to meet their Lord in this grand homecoming. And together with the Lord and the dead that Jesus has risen, along with those who are alive, we will come with Jesus as he establishes his judgment. So that would be my understanding of what Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4 are talking about. Again, it goes back to Throughout the history of the church, the history of the church has affirmed that Jesus is coming back, absolutely, but one time, okay? When we introduce this idea of a secret rapture, we're, what we're saying is Jesus is going to return twice, <laughs> one publicly and one privately. And would it not be the, 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 the most cruel of, of developments for there to be this secret rapture to, that is to be this great hope for the believer but yet it be so obscure in Scripture, yet it not be clear, yet it, yet it not be based upon speculation. And we, th we think we, we are in safe, on safe ground in putting our stake in the ground on the things that are most clear. Jesus is returning. Okay, um, let me encourage you, um, if you have continued questions about Romans 11, prophetic end-time stuff, the dispensational versus covenantal, interpretive grids, how this jives with Matthew 24, the Old Testament, the book of Revelation, um, please email me, paul.gilbert at fouroakschurch.com, and we'll work through your questions. All right, thanks for joining us today, guys. Let me pray. Lord, let us play, place um, our hope in you and you alone. Lord, we don't want to be caught unawares. We want to be prepared for the day when it comes and so, Father, we do echo the cry of the church over the last 2,000 years, Miranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name.